Welcome to In the Seams, a podcast by Broken and Mended, with your host, David Heffler. Hello, I'm glad to have you back on the Broken and Mended podcast, or as we call it here, the In the Seams. Broken and Mended is a ministry uh, that hosts the podcast, and I am your personal host, David Heflin, founder and uh, president of Broken and Mended. And uh, I said, glad to have you back. Of course, some of you may be joining for the first time. If you're just finding us, we hope you'll stick around. We'd really appreciate it if you would follow uh, the podcast, review the podcast. Uh, you know, this is something that we're we're trying. I'm trying to do. It's usually me. I often have a guest, probably at least half the time. Um, I like to do it that way. I like to let you hear from other people. Uh, but today I'm just going to be uh, flying solo. Uh, we're trying to do this a couple times a month when possible. Really, practically, it's worked out for me more about once a month. Uh, that's because I'm a, a busy person. I'm sure you are as well. You know, uh, besides dealing with chronic illness and chronic pain, which I do, I uh, I am married. I have three kids. I am in a uh, I am a minister, preacher of a church. And uh, at the same time, trying to guide this broken and mended ministry. And so sometimes I don't get as much done as I would like to get done. I'm sure many of you out there can relate to that. Um, But I'm also learning that that's okay. Uh, You do what you can do. And we're not supposed to be thinking that it all depends on us anyway. And of course, people with chronic illness and chronic pain, that is a lesson that they learn in many different ways, and they have to. They have no choice because of the way um, that their health changes their situation. And actually, I'm going to be sharing on that theme today in a, a personal way because that's what I'm going to be going through here for the next several weeks. I am to have my right hip replaced tomorrow. Uh, when you hear this, it will probably have already happened, but uh, this is Wednesday, October the 12th when I'm recording this. So on Thursday at 13th, I'm supposed to have right hip replacement surgery. So we'll be driving down there pretty soon, uh, down to Norman from where I live up here in Northwest Oklahoma. So I'll be going down to Norman, Oklahoma to do that. And it's made me want to maybe share a couple of thoughts. Maybe it's helpful for people that might be facing surgery uh, you know, themselves because of their chronic illness or have been through that in the past. I just was had the opportunity in a recent drive I had out of town to kind of reflect on some, reflect on some thoughts, you know, that, you know, what it just, it's just a strange thing to think about going in and having a joint replaced and the fact that we can do that here in America, um, you know, that I kind of have this feeling, I don't want to say of guilt, but just knowing that other people in the world maybe don't have that kind of access to healthcare, you kind of feel like, well, why should I, you know, have that kind of access? And that doesn't just apply to expensive surgeries, but to many other things, including the medicines that some of us take. Uh, I, the, the amount of money that the that would cost for people to take my medicine if I had to pay out of pocket is absurd. And again, I know many of you are in the, in the same situation. Maybe in other countries, they could get that a little bit cheaper uh, than we would get it here because our own healthcare system raises the cost, of course. Uh, but uh, I don't know. You know. I don't know if it's even accessible to, to some some of those people. And so I've just been thinking a lot about this issue. Um, this, this isn't necessarily a podcast about, you know, pre-surgery, the eve of surgery nerves or anything like that. That's a relevant topic too. You know, I, 
uh, you know, for just full, for sake of full disclosure, certainly I, I have nerves about what's about to happen. And, you know, I also am okay about it. You know, it's, I feel, I feel like some nerves are probably, probably good and, and nothing wrong with that. Um, if I was terrified, I'd, you know, probably try to put off the surgery longer. And so it's kind of somewhere kind of in between terrified maybe and, and not having any feelings about it. Uh, but that's not the main thing I wanted to talk about today. Uh, I wanted to talk just a little bit about some reflections of what it means for us to have this kind of health care um, and maybe to talk through just some of the implications of the privilege that many of us have, especially in the Western world. Um, some some of other places in the world, too. I'm not saying Western world has all the answers to healthcare and certainly has its struggles. But I, I do want to think about uh, what this means from a theological perspective, what it means for my relationship with God. What should I be thinking spiritually, theologically on the eve of my surgery? That's kind of more where I wanted to, to focus the thoughts today. You know, my experience with surgery, and I, I know a lot of people with chronic illness have had experiences with surgery, and I... Uh, you know, some haven't, but but probably will one day. It's certainly a more common occurrence with people with chronic illness than those who don't have chronic illness or chronic pain and injury or something that has to be repaired. In my case, it kind of started out that way because I injured my hips when I was in a Taekwondo. This is in 2011. And at the time, didn't know what was going on. And I'm not going to retell that story. I've told it elsewhere. Uh, but I ended up with an orthopedic surgeon in Albuquerque, who was able to correctly diagnose what was going on, really on two levels. The, the first was at that time, my primary interest was the injury to my hips. They didn't, I couldn't do anything with them. I, certainly, I was having to give up Taekwondo, and they were getting worse and worse, sharp pain and all that kind of stuff. So both hips. So it was a bilateral hip injuries and didn't know you know, what was behind it, but I was hoping that a surgeon could fix it because uh, it wasn't ever getting better on its own. In fact, it was only getting worse. So I, uh, you know, he told me what was wrong. I had torn labrals. I had, you know, uh, what's called uh, a hip impingement and uh, cam and pincer impingement. If you're familiar with that language, if you've been through that before, you know, that's where you get bone growth, bone spurs. I may be a, an okay word to use there, you know, but you get it on your, the ball and the socket if you have cam and pincer uh, hip impingement. And then because of that, and when you put stress on the hip or you rotate the hip, you know, violently like you do in Taekwondo and other things, uh, because, you know, you're, when you're kicking in order to get power, you're rotating your plant leg, you know, you're rotating that out to get more power into your kick. And that's how I tore mine. And there was no flexibility there because of the extra bone growth. I didn't realize that, you know, obviously I wouldn't have done it, but uh, in any case, it was a very painful condition. Uh, but as we're doing, the, getting ready to do that surgery, he also tells me that, okay, it looks like you might have ankylosing spondylitis too. And that, that ended up being the underlying condition that has stayed with me even after I had the surgeries. And to be honest, the first thing I had to learn about surgery is it doesn't always fix what you want it to. Uh, or it takes a lot longer. And since I was not yet being treated for an underlying disease and inflammation that comes with that, when they did surgery on my left hip, even though it was arthroscopic, it was quite invasive. It was two and a half, two and a half hour surgery and they cleaned it up and put it back together. And I mean, it was, it was extensive. Uh, with a lot of resurfacing of the bone and that in, in, the, in the joints. And when they did that, I uh, had a very difficult time recovering from that. Uh, insurance wouldn't pay for physical therapy, which was ridiculous, of course. Uh, but I, but that was all out of pocket if I wanted to do it. So I didn't do very much of it. I did most of it at home. 
And because of the extra inflammation from my disease that was just really getting kicked off, I, I you know, it was, it took me, I, I'd say two and a half years before I felt like I had an improvement uh, from the hip surgery than what I was feeling before I had the hip surgery. That's not what I expected. That was the first thing. And I guess, you know, along with that, related to that is underlying disease is something that's hard to predict or if if the situation could occur again, or if you fix one joint, it's going to affect another joint. And so there are a lot of other issues that kind of come up. What I had hoped for, because I didn't know about underlying disease, I didn't know about the inflammation and the ankylosing spondylitis. And so what I had hoped for when I went into surgery is that I would get it fixed. I would go through my rehab and I would return to a normal life. And that never happened. That was crushing. So I should have had my right hip operated on much sooner than I did, but because I didn't get the results I wanted, I put that off from 2012 to 2016 when I finally had my right hip operated on. And that probably has the reason why my right hip is technically worse than my left now and why it's going to be replaced before the left. I say technically because actually most of the time the left hurts me worse, so it's kind of strange, but from a radiographic standpoint, an x-ray, uh, the right hip is worse. Uh, just, and, but anyway, uh, you know, it did, it, it didn't fix everything, you know, that I, you know, had hoped. And so I think people with chronic illness and chronic pain have to have more realistic expectations. And, and so I've been more reluctant to explore surgery than I was before all this happened before I don't, those are the first surgeries I ever had were on my hips, but before, at least before the first one. Uh, if a surgery would fix something, why not? You know, you go through a little rehab, sure. But, you know, I was a little bit more hesitant, quite a bit more hesitant after that. In between that, I had to have a hernia surgery, which obviously was not related to the other issues. Um, but those are the three surgeries I'd had going into what's going to be happening tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'm getting my right hip replaced because the arthritis has continued there. Uh, the bone, uh, the joint space, which was low even back in 2012, so 10 years ago, when they were first looking at my hips, you know, they, even though they fixed my hips from a standpoint of extra bone growth and repaired the, did the labral repair, there's no way they could create extra joint space as I'm losing it. And so I had an arthritic hip and I knew that I was eventually going to have to have hip replacement surgery. That's not a surprise. I had hoped to make it another 10 years, uh, but the pain was too consistent and too limiting the intensity of the pain is is stronger sometimes than others, but it, it just became time to take action again. And I think it will, in, in this case, I think the risk of losing mobility and being inactive actually makes my health outcomes worse and more serious than if I get it fixed where I can still be somewhat active. And so that, that's the idea. Probably the left is the follow. I mean, that's the plan right now. We don't know exactly when we'll do that one. Um, but that's, that is, you know, that's, that's what's upcoming. That's, that's what I'm facing. And I know because of the ankylosing spondylitis that first of all, the physical therapy is very important for me to rebuild strength in that hip. And then also that I got to keep an eye on the underlying inflammation, but at least I'm being treated for that as I was not the very first hip surgery I ever had. As I said, as I was thinking about this, <laughs> I was praying about it, to be honest. And as I was praying about it, was thinking about the fact that I was evaluating my decision, I guess is the way that you might say it, because maybe I could put it off longer. And I started thinking about the places in the world where this wasn't even an option. And I started thinking about what that would mean for me. I have a disease that fuses joints. The 
disease is trying to fuse my hip joint. That's the problem. If I could not get this surgery and I could not treat the disease, both very expensive remedies, then my hip joints would have eventually fused. And actually, even with me treating the disease, they would eventually fuse and I would be crippled. I don't see how you can walk with a fused hip joint. Maybe you could shuffle. I don't even know. But I, the way I pictured it is probably a wheelchair. And so, you know, it's it's a big deal that I can do this, whether I was to do it this year or at some point in the future. If I could never do it, that's that's what my fate would be. And so I I understand that that is a big deal. But it got me to thinking about the fact that, you know, that this is quite a privilege, quite something to be thankful for. And that kind of helped me to embrace the fact that I had made this decision, because I think that people in the world who would need this kind of surgery and can't get it, that they would think it foolish or even just very ungrateful not to pursue it when it's available for me, because they would want it if they could get it. Um, it still made me feel just a little bit, and I can't, I wish I could think of a better word than guilty. I'm not really, uh, I don't really feel guilt about it or bad about it. I, I just have this feeling though, uh, that it is quite a privilege to be able to receive this level of medical treatment and intervention. First of all, it's a privilege as it relates to history. This is not something that was available for all time. It's this has all been re relatively recent, both in terms of the therapeutic drugs and, you know, the surgical interventions they can do to help someone with my disease. And so living in a different time uh, would have been, uh, certainly would have, again, faced a, a prognosis of being crippled. But also as it relates to where I live in the world, yes, health insurance situation here is a mess in our country. Uh, I know there have been political attempts to remedy it, which maybe have, has helped some. It has in my case. Uh, I know, and I'm not trying to be political. Some of you may not have been for the health care, Affordable Health Care Act. Uh, you got your reasons. I got my reasons. But the bottom line is it has allowed me to have affordable health care at a time when uh, I really need that. And that has allowed me to have access to uh, a pretty extensive medical intervention that would otherwise be, you know, too expensive, you know, to get, get done. And so I, I've I'm approaching this from a standpoint of I want to be thankful, but I don't want to take it for granted. Maybe that's the best way to say it, that I, I want to have a perspective that helps me to recognize that this is a this is a blessing that a lot of people in the world just don't have. Um, and some people might even hesitate to call it a blessing and may say, well, you, it's not like God's blessing you because, you know, more than somewhere else. Well, that, that's that's somewhat true. I recognize the circumstances we are born into. Not that God isn't sovereign over that, but there's what we might call fortune in it. There's uh, some circumstantial things. I'm born in this country, or born in some other country where this this would be possible as well. I wanted to mention a book I read a few years back called Compassionate Jesus, Rethinking the Christian Approach to Modern Medicine. And this is written by Christopher Bogosh. If I wrote his name down right, it's B-O-G-O-S-H, if you want to check it out. Uh, for me, the theology in the book was a little bit different than uh, than my own. Not majorly. I, I mean, in, in terms of what you would consider Orthodox Christianity, it was the same. Uh, but but some things that were different. And, and so I, not everything resonated with me in that book whether it would with you or not, I don't know. But the overall premise of it did resonate with me. And he was asking for us Christians that live in a situation where we do have access to all this medical care to try and form a, a much more Christian-based theology 
when it comes to medical care because his he, he was in the medical field and his observation had been that mostly Christians don't make their decisions any differently than anybody else that uh, goes in for medical care. I mean, and we're not talking about hey, I got strep throat because I'm a Christian. I'm not going to take an antibiotic. Well, that's that's dumb. Don't do that. And and there's a lot of bad theology where I'm not going to get into the different churches who do this, who tell people not to use medicine at all. And that was not the extreme he was advocating for. As I said, he was in the medical industry. I think mainly what he was getting at in that book, and it's been several years since I read it, but I remember it enough to say that what he was getting at was that we should not look at the the main goal of our lives as simply extending our physical lives because we can't do that indefinitely. And as Christians, we're not supposed to be afraid of death. He obviously would say that we should get life-saving care. And certainly the idea of what I'm looking at, like with a hip replacement surgery, uh, care that would improve quality of life is good. And, and that's not something we should avoid. And it's not a lack of faith or anything like that to take advantage of those things. Uh, so, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's a positive. And I just want to say that that was not what's being critiqued. He was looking more toward kind of what happens when we have the choice of trying to extend life versus choosing palliative care. Uh, or sometimes, you know, what we call hospice care. So palliative care and hospice care, that sort of thing. And, and palliative care is, I think, a more general term than hospice, where we're just talking about treating, making people's quality of life better, not necessarily trying to extend their life. These are very personal decisions. All he was saying is that we ought to go into those sort of decisions with a Christian mindset, with a theological mindset, and we ought to show our trust in God uh, and recognizing that we're not going to act like we're afraid to die when the time comes. That's a little bit beyond where I'm at in thinking about this surgery uh, today, but it may not be beyond where some of you, some of my listeners are at as they are having to make those kinds of decisions. And I, and I know people have had to make those kinds of decisions. I know some Christians who have made the decision for palliative care, and they were very grateful they did that. Uh, they were grateful to focus on quality of life. I think when you're in a situation where you can extend your life and still be there for others, of course, that's a good thing to do. By the way, part of the reason I have this on my mind, too, is another is something else that had been in the news. This was out of Canada, and they have a... It's called MAID, um, M-A, and then a lowercase i, capital D. It's a law there that it started out just allowing for euthanasia and kind of end-of-life situations that is now being applied to uh, people that have psychological disorders. I mean, in lots of different situations where people can choose to end their life legally uh, through the help of a doctor. And now they're trying to make it where minors who want to do that, they call them mature minors, whatever that means. And that they would be able to do this and a parent couldn't stop them. I mean, it's, it's, it's from a Christian perspective, it's gone from at least something we might understand or sympathize with to something that is outlandish uh, and has no respect for the life that God has given us. And I, and I know that as with people with chronic illness, chronic pain, we don't live, want to live in these bodies the way they are forever. Uh, there may be some sense in which death can be a relief. Death is never the ally, but it can be a relief from our suffering. 
and we, you know, we believe in the resurrection that God will give us new bodies, and that God is, and we're going to live uh, in perfectly sound and healthy, immortal bodies. And so, you know, because of that, uh, again, we don't hold on to life in a way that says that we don't believe that, but nor do we want to go to this other extreme that says that our life is just ours to end any time we want to. And so that that's another reason this these issues are on my mind. And, and I think that we need to think through these things theologically. Look, God is the creator of life. Life belongs to him, including the life he has given me. And sure, I think endless suffering is, you know, it's not endless. We need to remember that, that it isn't endless because uh, we're going to get to be free of it one day. But to just take our life in our own hands and to end it on our, with our own decision as you know and i'm not just talking about suicide which is somewhat of a different issue i'm or okay that's the same issue but a different aspect of it i'm just talking about someone who just decides they're, they're tired of it all you know they can't get the pain medicine they want so they go kill themselves again i certainly have empathy uh, for a person in a situation like that uh, but we would fight to prevent that if we could for the person people that we love and hopefully for ourselves we would want people to to um, help us prevent it if we were in that situation. And I, I just, I see that law in Canada and think, if, and that's coming to some places here in America too. And, and just saying, and that's the way we're going. We're going to where we are using the tools of the medical industry, which were meant to bless our quality of life. And so in some cases extend it and instead using it to end life. And, and that to me is a great tragedy. Again, I know that may not be where a lot of my listeners are, but these are things that we need to think through. So, so that's that's how you could call it a soapbox, but I would hope that's one that we we share. And at the end of the day, um, sorry for the cliche there, but <laughs> uh, it's an effective one sometimes. You know, I I want to improve uh, for myself what I can, my quality of life, because it makes me a little bit more of a uh, easier person to be around in my family, a little bit more active, hopefully can improve my quality of life as well as the length of my life. If I can improve the quality of life where I can be more active. And I recognize that other people that can't have this, this life improving procedure, the surgery that I get to have, they would want to have it if they could. And so for me to, to think badly of that or to feel guilty about that, it really kind of misses the point. I'm thankful that I can do this. I'm a little bit nervous about it, but I am, but I am thankful. And I think when we can improve our quality of life, that we should. Now, granted, you know, sometimes there's a financial aspect that comes into play. In this case, my out-of-pocket maximum was already met. Makes it an easy decision from that standpoint. But I know these things can weigh in different ways than just what I'm talking about today. I'd like for us to commit to praying for and supporting efforts that are made to bring these uh, miracles really to other people who otherwise would not have access to them. What we consider routine, they would consider miracles. I know there's been a lot of different efforts, medical missions over the years, and I kind of grew up in a, a tradition where we only saw that as a means to an end. Well, how many souls did you save? How many people became Christians? And if we couldn't give a real definitive answer about that, then it was like, well, that was kind of a waste of time. You, and I just think it was just missing the boat so much that when we have an opportunity to do good to others, as Scripture says, do good to others as you have opportunity to do good, that we ought to do it. And if we have a privilege like healthcare and they have the ability to either prayerfully or through financial means 
or if we're able to go. I know a lot of us aren't able to travel like that because of our chronic illness, but if we're able to, or even lend professional medical skills that we might have or assist professionals in helping other people uh, to go to other places in the world, I think it is an awesome blessing. And I know people, God will be glorified and, and people will be brought to Christ, whether we know about it or not. And, and the, these things are something that we need to support uh, in every way that we can, because there are a lot of people out there suffering to a greater degree than some of us are. And some of us are suffering pretty badly. And yet we still have some relief from medicines, interventions, therapeutic medicines, and so forth. And we, we need to recognize that and to recognize those people out there that are beyond miserable, that don't have access to these things that we can help with. Maybe you have heard about Mercy Ships. Uh, Mercy Ships apparently is best I understand it. I've, I've read about it. I haven't, I think there's a series that you can watch about it. But these, these ships, gigantic ships that go to different countries, different ports around the world with doctors and nurses and other volunteers and medical equipment and supplies and and just do things that are just unbelievable. I think one story I heard was someone who was given sight, uh, you know, through an op- ophthalmologist, you know, a surgeon. And because uh, that person was able to give them something, give them opportunity for something that, that, again, to us would be routine. And yet they, for them, it was anything but routine. And they were able to see because of that effort. Obviously, you can't fix everything. Well, we can't fix everything here in America or other places in the Western world or other modern places. Uh, that's It's quite clear that people are still going to suffer. People are ultimately still going to die. So this is we understand this. But there is a lot that can be done. And there are tons of preventable diseases and tons of different interventions that could help people who are suffering greatly in the world. So I'll end by just saying, let's be thankful for what we have access to, but let's not have the mentality of hoarding it to ourselves if we can do anything to speed that along to people who have that need. And I think that that's the the Christian perspective that we want to have. Well, when you're hearing this, as I said, my surgery is likely over. I appreciate your prayers for my recovery. Perhaps on the next podcast, I'll be able to update on that, how that's going, and likely we'll have the left left hip done in a few, anywhere from weeks to months. We'll we'll see how that works out. But thank you for listening to In the Seams. Uh, Always glad to just share with you and, and, uh, you know, hope that some of the thoughts and reflections that I had today can be of help or be a blessing to you as you think through some of these things for yourself. And we'll add, uh, please check us out at brokenandmended.org. There you can hear the podcast there. You can uh, see our blog post and you can also uh, connect with our either our support groups or our social media presence. All that stuff is uh, linkable through the website at brokenandmended.org. And uh, if you reach out through the contact form, if you need special prayers or you need anything or you got an idea, maybe something we could offer or talk about, be glad to take that under consideration. So I'll sign off for now and hope that you have a blessed uh, day or night whenever it is you happen to be listening to this. And I will talk to you next time.